You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. guys hope that you are doing well we are in part three of our series the gospel of john uh the previous episodes we've talked about two really significant stories in the gospel um and this week is no different we're going to talk about an interaction uh, between jesus and a man the story uh talks about healing and it causes us to ask ourselves some questions even thousands of years later we still need to ask ourselves some questions that that are spurred from this interaction so we're going to be in john chapter 5 And we're going to start right in verse 1. It says this, After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate. In Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? So we need to start with some context for this entire situation. Bethesda, it was a pool that was believed to have healing properties. Uh, They believed that an angel went down and would stir up the waters at certain points of the day and that those certain points were your best chance to get healed. The first person who could get in the water when the waters are stirred up, that person is most likely to be healed. The sheep gate that it talks about is near where they would offer sacrifices unto God, right? They brought all these sheeps in and they would sacrifice these sheep um, in, in offerings unto God. And so what we see is this this area that is holy, this, this area that is dedicated to worship, this area that is dedicated unto the Lord. And there were probably hundreds of people present at the, the pool in Bethesda. Lastly, we don't know exactly what the man uh, that's featured in the story was physically facing, but it was likely that his family or friends had to bring him to the pool every single day. That's not somewhere that he could have gotten to by himself. It was most likely a life of humiliation. It was most likely a life of inconvenience for him and for everyone around him. And Jesus encounters this man and gets to know him. And it says that when Jesus realized he had already been there a long time, right? Jesus enters into conversation with this sick man, finds out that he's been there for 38 years. And I think that that's a really good place to start is what I want to do this week is look at a a few big questions and statements that Jesus speaks to this man. But my hope is that we will hear these same things being spoke to us today. But before we jump into those things, we need to point out this truth. And it comes from this, this small statement that Jesus gets to know him and he finds out when he realizes that he's been there for a long time, is that Jesus knows us. Jesus knows us. I don't know if Jesus saw the man and supernaturally knew that he had been there every day for 38 years, or if he had actually been there every day for 38 years, or if he entered into a conversation with him to find out whatever info he needed about his life. But either way, I think the character and the holiness of Jesus is exemplified in this instance. This is Jesus. This is God in flesh. He, he saw this man and he engaged him right where he was. My hope is that we would understand that that same God is willing to do the same for us. That no matter where we're at, lame, sick, broken, thriving, or whatever else, he knows us and he wants to engage with us. That Jesus knows us and that he often realizes things about us and our own lives even more than we realize about our, ourselves. And, and that leads Jesus to ask some very poignant and very specific questions because he knows this man to the core of his being. And the first question that Jesus asked the man is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? It feels like like a borderline crazy question from Jesus. Like we hear that and we're like, 
okay, let's connect the dots here. 38 years of being sick. Um, probably, right? Like he probably does want to get well. Like it feels like a duh question. But from the man's response into the next verse, I think we can make a couple of assumptions. And this is what it says in John chapter 5 or 7. This is his response. It says, do you want to get well? And then he says, sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool and the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. The man does not answer with, yes, I do want to get healed. I do want to be well. He answers with excuses. I have no one to put me in the pool and the water is stirred up. When it starts to bubble, someone someone cuts me off. I can't get down there. Don't you think we can kind of be the same way? We make excuses for the broken parts of our lives. We might say we want to be healed, but there are some buts. Yeah, it would be amazing to beat that addiction, or it'd be amazing to get past that mistake, or whatever the case may be, but but it might not just be the right time here. I don't know if it's actually that bad. I don't know if I need to deal with it yet, or or maybe it's not really my fault. Maybe it's somebody else's fault, and on and on and on it goes. That Jesus looks into our life and says, do you actually want to get past that? Do you actually want to get well? And we say, yeah, but it sounds hard. It sounds complicated. See, we should not be people who make excuses. We should be people who make changes. That God is not asking us to to lay out our excuses before him. He's asking us to say, yeah, I want to get better. I want to get healed. And I want to participate in that healing. The next couple of verses, Jesus says this back to him. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. So the next point this week is this. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Jesus is unconcerned with our human excuses. That if we have a bunch of yeah buts in our life, he is unconcerned with our human excuses. He doesn't just heal, he calls us into action. So he says, Do you want to get do you want to get well? And we say, Yeah. And then before we can say but, he goes, Great. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, I believe that Jesus still wants to do incredible healing in our lives today. And it might be physical, it might be mental, it might be emotional, relational, etc. He is still the healer. But I think that just like in every other area of our lives, Jesus desires our participation. We're going to have to accept the healing. We're going to have to say, yes, we want to be healed. And then we're going to have to do something with it. You see, if God is going to heal and deliver and liberate us from the messiest parts of our lives, we better be ready to do something with that healing. My, my prayer is that we are not people who are about spiritual high fives and like platitudes, but we're about powerful testimonies and lives that point back to Jesus. And then when God heals us, we do something with that. We use that story. We go tell people about what's going on. We become a living portrait of the grace and the mercy and the healing and the forgiveness of Jesus. You see, that man, he he carried, he was carried on that mat every day of his life. That mat carried him every day was a, a symbol of his brokenness, of his imperfection. And now he's getting up, he's picking it up, and he's walking with it. He's carrying it. It is no longer carrying him. You see, God will, if we if we participate, God will use the things that have highlighted our messiness and use them as opportunities to point people back to him the things that have been a crutch to us 
we will we will eventually just be carrying and we will say, look at this. I no longer need this. And this is why Jesus healed me. Jesus delivered me. Jesus liberated me. Would we be people who do that? Would we do something with the healing? The story goes on to say this in verses 10 through 13. It says, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Here's the problem, is that they saw the mat, not the miracle. They saw the mat, not the miracle. One of the most eye-opening things for me in this passage is that the religious people couldn't even recognize that this was the man who had been sick for 38 years. They were focused on the rules of their religion instead of being blown away by an act of God. That they didn't even notice who the person was. They just saw a person carrying, quote-unquote, working on the Sabbath. And they said, the law prohibits you from picking up your mat on the Sabbath. How often do we do the same thing? Right? We, we get caught up in seeing the how, seeing the how it should be's instead of the how it could, how could it be's. Right? Instead of saying, how could it be that this is happening? We say, well, that doesn't make sense. This, this, this shouldn't be happening right now. Right? You're not supposed to do that on days like this. Whatever it is, that we might not follow old Jewish law, but we all have plenty of rules when, in our religion. And we say, this is the way that things should work. And if things happen outside of that, we're going to question that. And if we do that, if that becomes our perspective, we miss what God is doing. All throughout scripture, we see Jesus interact with the religious elite. And one of the main themes is that they do not recognize him. That the Messiah that they were so desperately waiting for was right in front of them. And they were blinded by their rules and their rituals and their positions of power and their human expectations. Would we make a commitment in our own personal lives and as a community of people to not miss Jesus because things are happening differently than we expected? One of the ways that this has played out in my own life is I think about this guy that that I knew in my early 20s, and he was a wreck. Um, man, he, he was just all over the place. And if you're like, someday that guy is going to be serving Jesus, someday that guy is going to have radical life transformation, I would be like, you know what? <laughs> I That's hard for me to believe. Like, he was an absolute train wreck. And I remember, like, we weren't really engaged in each other's lives for years and years and years. And I ran into him, and he just was like, dude, he looked the same. He dressed the same, right? Like, the, on the outside, he looked the same. And he started speaking and, and talking about Jesus and talking about transformation and talking about how God had delivered him from addiction and delivered, delivered him from different parts of his life. And uh, I, I was just like, man, I just, I don't know. Like, I was just so hesitant with it, and I doubted it. It was so drastic. Like the, the difference was so da- drastic that I was like, this, this has to be fake. Like I, he, in my mind, like I, I hate admitting this, but I feel like I was like, man, he's too far gone. Like I, I just don't see his life turning around. And it was because it was so drastic and so different than my expectations of what his life would look like. That, that I had put God in a box and my expectations were something that I thought would limit how God could transform his life. And from that day day on, like a challenge that I just felt like the Lord placed on my life is expect me to move, but leave room for me to do it however 
I see fit. So can we do that? Can we expect God to move and then leave room for him to do it however he sees fit? Not how we expect it to happen, not in the time frame that we expect it to happen, not in any of those types of things. That Would we be people who just say, God, I know that you can move. I have an expectation, a holy expectation that you will move, and I'm not going to put any constraints on it. No time constraints, no how constraints, like no why constraints, none of those things. Jesus, just do what only you can do. See, when we do this, we become more aware of how Jesus is uniquely moving in our lives and the lives of the people around us, and it helps us know him better. Because instead of us saying, Jesus, move in this way, we just say, Jesus, I want to watch you move. I want to watch you move. See, the man is asked this by the Jewish uh, elite, the religious people. He said, They say, who did this for you? Who changed your entire life? Right, right? Like, who healed you? Who healed you and then told you to pick up your mat and walk on the Sabbath, like the audacity? And he cannot answer. He doesn't know Jesus well enough to identify what just happened. Yes, Jesus just slipped away, but he he just encountered the Messiah. Like, like he 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 should have known something. Like this is there's something different here. For us, we have gotten the opportunity on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus to know that Jesus is moving and working in our lives. The problem is that he was focused on himself and what just happened, not the person who actually made it happen. And we should want to know Jesus so well that when something is happening in our lives, we can't help but answer, it was Jesus. That if not for Jesus, my life would not be what it is. If not for Jesus, I would not be healed. If not for Jesus, I would not be delivered. So a question I think we need to ask ourselves is, are we learning to identify Jesus? Are we learning to identify Jesus? Now, I'm not saying there's some three-part plan to seeing Jesus in every single thing, but what I am saying is that if we intentionally ask God to reveal himself and then actually look for it, he will do just that. He will reveal himself in ways that we expect and ways that we absolutely did not expect. See, we don't want to be people who get so wrapped up in the happenings of our life that we forget to see, acknowledge, and worship the one who made our lives happen in the first place. The story goes on to say this in verses 14 through 16. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, let's stop there. We don't know how long later this is. If this is the same day, a week later, a month later, we don't know. But Jesus finds him in the temple, a place that he was not able to get into for 38 years. So Jesus finds him in the temple and says to him, see, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So the last statement that Jesus makes to him is, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore. These verses in this statement are really interesting, and it's such an odd way to end the story because Jesus tells him not to sin anymore because something worse may happen. And I think this actually means several different things at once. I think it maybe means that this type of sin would actually lead to sickness again, that whatever he he's telling him to get out of might lead to physical disabilitating disease or sickness again. And maybe Jesus is saying that living outside of God's will will cause life to be worse because that is true. Living inside his will will make life better. Living outside of his will will make life worse. And I think the main point is this, is that we can receive God's grace in a moment and then choose to live outside of it. That we can be healed and not live within it. We can be forgiven and not live within it. 
You see, God showed up in a big way despite the complexity of this man. And then he shows up again. He finds him once and then he finds him again. He was given a gift that, that we can barely even imagine. And yet Jesus finds him again and issues a warning not to go back to his old ways. He's saying, don't make the mistake of making this a today thing, but a forever thing. Don't make the mistake of making this a today thing. Make this a forever thing. This man had not been able to go to temple for 38 years, and now he was standing in it. And Jesus found him in his old life, and then he found him in his new one. He will not, he will do that for us too, over and over and over again. That when we were living in sin, when we were living in brokenness, and we had no repentance in our hearts, Jesus found us and convicted us and led us into freedom and mercy and grace and forgiveness. And just because we receive grace that day doesn't mean that he won't offer it again and again and again. But we have to decide. We have to make the decision to continually lean back into that grace and that mercy and that forgiveness. The last point is this, is that the healing cost Jesus. It cost Jesus. Because of what he did and because the guy then tattles on him, he finds out who Jesus is and then he goes to the religious leader and he's like, hey, by the way, the guy that you were mad mad at, his name, Jesus. Jesus gets persecuted. It says it leads to him being persecuted. We must remember that what Jesus did for him was costly. He gets persecuted because because of it. But on a grander scale, on an eternal scale, what Jesus did for us on the cross was costly. It was the ultimate sacrifice. It was the ultimate payment. And we can just receive that and say, man, isn't that super nice that he did that? Or we can actually live it. We can live in it. We can walk it out. We can live with, with a, a, a respect and, a, and an honor and a, 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 a posture that just says, Jesus, all the authority, all of the power, all of the things are you and you alone, that you have forgiven me, and I'm going to live that out every single day. The way that I talk to people will, because I know, will be because I know I'm forgiving. The way that I act will be because I know that I am forgiven. The way that I interact with the, with the social sphere that I'm a part of, with the culture that I'm a part of, with the people around me, is going to be because I am living in the freedom that you have offered me. I'm not just going to receive it. I'm going to live in it. I don't know about you, but I want to be somebody who lives right in the middle of God's love, who lives right in the middle of God's forgiveness, because it will definitely help me love people better and forgive people better and see people the way that Jesus sees people. Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.